The scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. So the gift we celebrate on Christmas, it costs Jesus a lot. The Advent series that we're in right now is called God Changes the Story. And I'm not sure if there is a passage in scripture that demonstrates this more than Ephesians chapter two. But before we dive into Ephesians two, let's pray together. Uh, God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you that your mercy is new every morning. God, I pray that, that you would do what only you can do, that you would give your scripture um, power to open up our ears and our eyes. Lord, help us um, to just see what we cannot see. Lord, help us to meet with you. I pray that we would leave here with a bigger understanding of who you are. Lord, we need you this morning. We need you uh, every morning. And God, I ask that your, you would, uh, just, that your gospel would be proclaimed clearly. Lord, give us the strength to receive. And I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 10, is a passage many of us may be familiar with, and some of you may have even parts of it memorized. In just 10 verses, Paul explains that our biggest problem is worse than we thought, and God's solution to our biggest problem is more miraculous than we could possibly imagine. So let's read um, verse Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 again. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Our biggest problem is worse than we thought. And Paul is making it clear that our sin nature has not only separated us from God, but it has made us unable to respond and see spiritual things. We lack the ability to comprehend what is good and pleasing to God. Paul appropriately uses the word dead 
to describe our natural state. We are dead and therefore cannot see, understand, or respond to God. Paul is saying that humanity is spiritually dead. And as a result, we are children of wrath. We are sons of disobedience. We choose, we willfully rebel against God and his law. We have an inherited tendency to rebel and worship anything and everything instead of worshiping God. Scripture tells us that our sin nature has made us completely useless and unpleasing to God. And Paul makes this point in Romans 8.8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who have a sin nature cannot please God. Ephesians 2, 1 1 through 3 is not saying some people, most people. It's claiming that all people are by nature children of wrath. All people are spiritually dead. God does not look out on his creation anymore and think it is good. He doesn't look out on humanity and think it is beautiful. God's good and perfect creation was destroyed. David um, hammered this point last week. All of creation is in bondage to sin, death, and Satan himself. And Ephesians here talks about Satan, and he calls him the prince of the power of the air. See, the outworking effect of sin is not simply death and eternal separation from God, but it is the real and tangible desire that we have to be God ourselves. We desire to do and live as we please. Sin has done more damage than we can comprehend. Sin is not only the reason we stand condemned and deserve God's death and condemnation, but sin has incapacitated us from being able to see and understand the things of God. And it it is really, really important to note that Paul is writing this letter to Christians. He is not writing this to non-believers, even though it is describing the unbelieving heart perfectly. So why is Paul deliberately pointing his readers back to their depravity? Why does Paul want us to consider what we have been rescued from? To understand the gospel fully, you and I have to understand where we were before God opened our eyes. To understand the gospel fully, you need to understand the depth God had to go to rescue you. The redemption story that we cling to and hold on as and profess as Christians is unlike any redemption story in the world. You and I, we don't normally celebrate the kind of redemption story that's talked about here in Ephesians 2. If you're a football fan, you know that there is an unbelievable redemption story playing out this year, and his name is Alex Smith. Alex Smith is a quarterback for the Washington Redskins, and in 2018, he severely broke his leg, and after surgery, his leg got infected so bad that they thought they were gonna have to amputate his leg, and they ended up cutting away almost all of his calf muscle, almost all the tissue on his, his leg. They didn't think, they thought they were going to have to amputate his leg, they didn't, let alone, they didn't know if he would ever walk again. And this guy is out there making, got, made it back on the football field, he's out there making plays, and his team is in the playoff hunt this year. It is an amazing story if you really step back and see it. And it warms our hearts to see people overcome adversity and tragedy. 
Another story that's kind of happened right down the road is the Coastal Carolina football team. They were picked to finish last. I mean, nobody, everybody wrote them off. And they, are, have, they have taken the college football, the football world by storm by, with their undefeated year, you know, season. They're beating ranked teams. Our community is loving this little redemption story that's playing out with this football team. I mean, we, we cheer and celebrate redemption stories like this. But we don't often celebrate redemption stories like O.J. Simpson. Why? We, we don't celebrate a person who was guilty of a crime and then gets off free. The guilty deserve punishment. And we often rage when injustice happens in front of our eyes. And we should. And it's not wrong to want justice to be given. But here's the thing. Do you and I desire to be held accountable for the ways in which we have rebelled against a holy and righteous God? No, we don't. Deep down, we know we are guilty and we know that our heart is wicked. And Jeremiah 17.9 says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And Ephesians 2 reminds us that you and I are by nature children of wrath. You think about it. Why would God love you or love me? Why would God give your dead heart life? If you have not asked this question before, you need to reflect deeper on where you were before God rescued you. Why would God give us the eyes to even see our own deadness? Why would God do this? Well, Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5 tells us why. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So why would God redeem you or redeem me? It is because he is merciful. God is rich in mercy. And here's the point. I want all of us to walk away with this morning. We don't contribute a thing to our redemption story. We don't contribute anything to it. God did not look out on us and think he or she has potential. God did not look out on you or me and think they are a little less sinful. They are a little less dead. There is nothing about us that is pleasing to God. We offer him nothing. In order to fully understand our redemption, you need to grasp and understand why God rescued you. God is merciful. It is who he is. When did God start loving you? Did he start loving you when you realized you needed him? No. He loved you when you had no capacity to love him back. He loved you when you hated him. He loved you, Paul says, while, while you were dead. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Again, think about this. Why would God do this? 
Why would he save us and ransom us with his own blood? Because he is rich in mercy. It's because the God we serve is a merciful God. It is who he is. It has nothing to do with us. We cannot miss this. This year, uh, my wife Jen decided to add some new decorations for Christmas in our one room. We have bookshelves that go all the way across this one wall and on the bookshelf are all my seminary books that are up there. And I came home one day and all of the books, all of them, I mean all, and there's two, over 200 books, were flipped around so all you could see were the white pages. And so it was all white with a color, Christmas, it was really, it looked good. It looked really nice with all the things, but the integrity, the purpose of the, the bookshelf was completely gone. I mean, you couldn't see where, what book was what. And I was preparing for this message and there was two books I was looking for. <laughs> and literally, I mean, you look at the whole wall and I couldn't find them. Eventually I had it, I couldn't take it anymore and I flipped every single book back. And here's the point I'm trying to make here. If we fail to see and understand that our salvation, our redemption has nothing to do with us, if we fail to see that our salvation de depends completely on the finished work of Christ, we are taking the gospel and flipping it around and making it powerless, useless in our lives. When we think we are justified by our works and God is somehow more pleased with us based off what we do, the gospel, the good news, it fails to be good news. The good news that we celebrate and we cling to is it does not depend on us and we rely completely on the finished work of Christ. Paul is making this clear that God is the center of the redemption story, not you, not me. Paul in Ephesians 2, he's trying to break down any ounce of pride or arrogance that could be hiding in our heart. We do not deserve God's mercy, and yet he offers it. The redemption story that we celebrate and cling to is unlike any redemption story in history. The guilty are pardoned and set free. This is our testimony. If you are in Christ this morning, we, we share the same testimony. We were dead, but God made us alive. And this leads us to verse eight. Ephesians two, verse eight. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Ephesians here is telling us that even the faith that we have to trust in God was a gift. And Paul is stripping us down so we can humbly accept the gift of salvation. Remember, Paul is writing this letter to his brothers and sisters in Ephesus. He is writing this letter to Christians. We are the intended audience. So Doxa Church, hear the words of Paul this morning. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. We don't contribute anything to our redemption story. We have nothing to boast in. Our story is the one we tend to cringe at. The guilty are pardoned and set free. The innocent one was put on the cross. So where are you this morning? Have you accepted the fact 
God's love for you has nothing to do with you or what you have done for him. If this doesn't humbly move you to worship God, the one who ransomed you, and doesn't move you to want to try to reorient your life around Jesus, then you have to ask yourself why. The God who loved you and me while we were dead, he made us alive. Everything about our salvation is a gift from God. We contributed nothing to our redemption story. If this doesn't move you to worship and praise God, ask yourself why. Because if this is true, if this is true, it changes everything. If God's acceptance of us was never based off of what we offer him, it means that you and I, we can face our sin, our struggle, our fear, even our doubts. We can face those in full confidence. God, listen to this, God has legally purchased your freedom. In 1 Corinthians 7.23, it speaks to this. 1 Corinthians 7.23 says, you were bought at a price. Ephesians 1.5 tells us that Jesus adopted us as his children for his purposes. And what this means, we are no longer children of wrath. We are children of purpose. I pray this morning you see and understand how much God loves you. And I pray it gives you confidence to hold fast to his promises. I mean, 2020 has flipped things around. I mean, life is upside down. Statistically speaking, one in four people are dealing with anxiety and depression. People are suffering financially. A lot of people are worried and fearful about the unknown and when is life, you know, things gonna get back to normal. It is crazy that people are more connected through social media right now than ever before, right? But that statistically shows that there is no generation uh, that is more lonelier than this generation. Life is hard, but doubting whether or not God loves you and is for, for you will push you into further despair. So you and I, we can face our trouble, our fear, our pain with full confidence, full confidence that nothing can separate us from the love of God. God has responded to our greatest need and our biggest problem. So where are you this morning? Are you struggling? Are you struggling to trust God? Are you struggling with sin and walking down a path that you know is not good, you know is not right? Are you angry inside? Are you struggling to forgive someone maybe who has wronged you? Think about this. If God loved you while you were dead, he's gonna love you in the struggle. If you are feeling convicted and guilty because of sin, repent in confidence. Turn toward the God who is merciful. God's acceptance of you and his love for you was never based off of anything that you do. You can approach God in freedom and in full confidence. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God redeemed you. Again, if this doesn't move you to worship, ask yourself why. See here what Paul's saying in Ephesians 2, if a person is spirit, spiritually dead, they are comfortable living in a casket. 
But if you are in Christ, you are never comfortable climbing back into the casket. If you are living in sin and rebelling against God, repent and turn to the God who is merciful. I mean, who gives a flip what anybody thinks of you? You don't need to pretend anymore. You don't need to fake it anymore. You can honestly and humbly ask God for prayer. You can ask God to intervene. Listen, you are not alone in the struggle. You are not alone. And if you feel like you're alone, I'm sorry that we as the body of Christ have made you feel that you can't be authentic. No one here has this thing all figured out and not one person here is not struggling with their sin nature. Not one person. Yes, God gives us victory over sin and death. And yes, God has redeemed us, but our sin nature is still a problem. By God's grace, we are now made aware of it. By God's grace, we are now aware that we have access to victory. We have nothing to boast in. Sin is not going to go away, and so our devotion to God should not go away. I mean, how arrogant and prideful is it to think that we don't need God? We need him every moment of every day. And as I was preparing this message, I was convicted about this very thing. I cannot tell you how many times I wake up in the morning and I don't recognize my desperate need for God. And yet I wonder why I fail to live with full confidence and in humility. Where are you this morning? Are you pretending that you don't struggle? Or are you boasting that you don't struggle? No matter where you are, Paul says the same thing. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And this leads us to Ephesians 2.10. You are not God's masterpiece. You are his workmanship. Listen to Ephesians 2.10. Says, Paul says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God loves you and therefore is committed to work in you. You are his workmanship. But here's a question. Are you committed to letting God work in you? God is committed to change you. Are you committed to let him change you? Are you running from God and keeping him out of certain areas of your life? If so, repent and turn toward the God who is merciful. Don't wait any longer. Listen to what Paul is saying here. God has prepared works for you to do. God not only has redeemed you, but he wants to put you to work. He wants to use you to show the world of, about this great mercy and love. He wants to use you to be his hands and feet. He, God wants to use the foolish things of the world, that's you and I, to confound the wise. Stop climbing back into the casket. Get involved in God's redemptive work. If you are on the sideline and not pursuing Christ, ask yourself why. Ask God to help you love him better. Ask God to help you love people better, both of which are really hard to do without God's help. Husbands, God calls us to lead. If you are not leading your family in this way, there is no better Christmas gift that you could give your wife or your kids. 
Repentance is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of strength. Turning toward God and acknowledging your need for him is a sign God is at work in you. So where are you this morning? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I skipped over Ephesians 2.7 for a reason. I, I wanted to end the message with it. Ephesians 2.7 says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Paul is making the point that for all of eternity, we are going to keep discovering how much God loves us. God loves you so much that it's going to take all of eternity for him to show you that. For all of eternity, you and I are going to be, keep being overwhelmed at how merciful and loving God is. His love is so deep and so wide, we'll never be able to see how, how far it stretches. My hope is that the unbelievable nature of God's love will just overwhelm your heart this morning and that you would accept God's mercy. I pray that uh, you let Jesus work in you so that he can work through you. We have work to do. You have a community of people right here in Myrtle Beach looking for hope, looking for acceptance. They're looking for the answer to why they feel dead inside. The redemption story we cling to and celebrate is unlike any redemption story in history. The guilty are pardoned and set free. This is our testimony. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Let's pray. Father God, we... God, we acknowledge our need right now for you. We, we are so overwhelmed at how merciful and loving you are. Lord, I pray that you would use this church to be your hands and feet, that the community around us would see you in us. Lord, help us. God, strip away the pride and arrogance that seems to try to just latch on in our heart. God, I pray that we would humbly accept your gift of salvation, and we would, Lord, you would just use us as your hands and feet here in our community. God, we thank you for the hope that we have and the hope that we, we confess and we cling to. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen.